All right. Well, praise the Lord. Let's turn in our Bibles, please, to Hebrews chapter number 11. We're going to start off in Hebrews. That's not where we're going to end. Well, actually, we will end there. We're not going to go through all of Hebrews, but just kind of the beginning. title of this message this morning is God is. God is. Starting in verse number 1 of Hebrews 11, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found, because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you've made it possible for us to have the freedom to come together and to sing praises, to fellowship with one another, to gather around your words, to see what it has to say to us. We're thankful for your mercy and your love. And Lord, we now ask that you bless this next time that we have together. And Heavenly Father, help me to be clear Guide my thoughts. May Christ be lifted and glorified. And we'll give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want us to look at just part of the phrase of verse number 6. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. He that cometh to God must believe that he is. Um, and so we're going to look at three things about God. We're going to look at his essence, we're going to look at his creation, and we're going to look at his relationship. To be able to believe those things, though, we have to believe that he is. That he isn't just an idea, that he isn't just a, a thing that we say, but that he's real. God is real. He's real, as much real today as he was when this world was created. He's real. And we've got to believe that. We've got to trust that. Even Jesus, when he sat down with his disciples in, in Matthew, the 16th chapter, you need not turn to it, I'll read it. Uh, he sat down with his disciples. It says, when Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist. Some Elias and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? 
So he's basically saying the same thing to his disciples. He was saying, who, who am I? And, and they said, well, it could be John the Baptist. It could be this prophet. It could be this prophet. And he says, but who do you say that I am? In other words, to be able to go to God, be able to go to Jesus Christ, you've got to believe that he is. That he is and that he's a rewarder of diligently uh, that seek him. And so let's look at some attributes of God. Okay, let's look at his essence. Who is he? Uh, for instance, uh, he's eternal. Okay, he's eternal. He always was. He always is. He always will be. There was no beginning, no end. He's just God. Now, sometimes that's pretty hard to understand. For you and me, it's hard to understand because we're finite beings. We understand beginnings and endings. There was a time when we didn't exist, and now we exist, and there's going to be a time we won't exist anymore, physically. Okay? Uh, and so it's kind of hard to grasp the idea that God was eternal. Eternal past, eternal future, eternal now. And so he's eternal. Uh, God is holy. Okay? He's a holy God. It means he's without sin. God does not sin. As a matter of fact, uh, God can do anything except for one thing, and that's he cannot lie. Okay? Because that's sin. He's holy. And because he's holy, he expects us to be holy. He says, be holy as I am holy. God is holy. That's one reason why we have, we have to have a Savior is because an unholy man cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. And so God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life so that, he can, so that men and women could be holy and stand in the presence of a holy God. He's a just God. He always does the right thing. He always does the right thing. I think Brother, Bish, uh, Brother Bushy uh, had, had the phrase, you know, always do the next right thing. Okay? It's always right to do right, and it's never right to do wrong. And I think it was uh, Bob Jones said, it's never right to do wrong to get a chance to do right. There's a right way to do things. There's a right thing to do. God always does the right thing. He's always just. And when he says to us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, he's just. He tells him, he's telling the truth. When God tells us in the book of the Revelation that those that have rejected Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will be uh, uh, condemned uh, to hell for all eternity, that's just. That's the just reward for sin and disobedience. He's always just. He never does something that's unjust. God is merciful. Mercy is not giving us what we deserve. I do not deserve heaven, and neither do you. I do not deserve the goodness that God gives to each and every one of us, and neither do you. We deserve to be separated from God for all eternity because of sin. Okay? But God is merciful. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's provided a way of salvation. 
for mankind, okay? He's totally merciful. Even when we sin against him, he shows us mercy. I think of David. David is said to be a man after God, was a man after God's own heart. He was called the psalmist David. And he wrote uh, a great portion of the, of the book of Psalms. And uh, uh, he, he was a good king. But David was human. David sinned. But there was something unique about him. When we look at the character of David, we find that every time that he would sin and he would get in the flesh and he got into the flesh, sometimes he, uh, got, into, he got angry and he got into the flesh. Anybody here get angry and get into the flesh? I've, do, I've done it several times. Um, when he was angry and he got into the flesh and it was pointed out to him that that was a sin against God, David always repented. David always went to God and said that he had sinned and he sinned against God. Matter of fact, if you read in the book of Psalms, he says in, 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 in uh, Psalm 51, he says, Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this wicked in thy sight. David was always one that would uh, repent and God would show him mercy. But I think there was a time when David really blew it big time. There was a time when the soldiers were out in the battle and they were fighting. And the king was supposed to be out with them, leading them, but he wasn't. He stayed at home. And you know the story. He went out one day on the top of his house, looked out across, and there was a woman, Bathsheba, and she was bathing out on the top of their house. And that was normal in those days. They didn't have air conditioning like we do. Okay? And so that was normal for houses to have something up on the top, up on the roof, and people could get out there up on top of the roof and, and do all sorts of things. She was bathing. He lusted for her. Sin number one. Being king, kings could do anything in those days. Okay? A king was the final authority on everything. Now actually, God's the final authority, but when man begins to take over things that he's not supposed to take over, he decides that he becomes the final authority. And so the king was the final authority, and when the king spoke, you better do what the king said to do. And so after he saw her, he lusted after her, and he spoke. He said, go get her and tell her I want to see her. And you know the rest of the story. He committed adultery. She was a married woman. She came along and said, hey, I'm expecting. The king said, uh-oh, I'm going to be in trouble. The penalty in those days for adultery was death. Ooh, that's pretty strong. But remember, God is just. David knew that if he got caught, whew, he was in trouble. Her husband, Uriah, the Hittite, was on leave. He called for him, had him come back on leave. And he says, go in and be with your wife. So we got first sin, second sin, third sin. He's trying to cover it up. Okay. Uriah, being a just man himself, said, I can't do that. My soldiers that are under me are living in tents out in the, out in the battle zone, and I can't go in and enjoy my wife and live in my home. I can't do that. So he didn't. So David went the next step. He went and got him drunk and then told him, go home to your wife. But he didn't. He didn't go home to his wife. 
So we've got, he lusted. Well, actually, he stayed at home when he shouldn't have. He looked upon a woman and lusted after her, committed adultery with her, tried to cover it up, and now he's going to do another thing. It was time for Uriah to go back. And so he says, here, I've got a message for you. And he wrote out this message and says, give this to your commanding officer when you get back to the field. And so Uriah went back to the field and gave the message to the boss. And opened it up and says, take Uriah and put him in the hottest part of the battle and then withdraw the troops so that our enemies can put him to death. Committed murder. He didn't drive the, 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 the knife into him. He didn't shoot the arrow at him. He didn't take the sword and, shit, uh, and, 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 and cut him up, but he committed murder. That was the story. You can read it. But you see, God is merciful. He thinks, well, now I can take Bathsheba. She no longer has a husband. I can take her now and I can, and I can marry her. And this whole thing will be covered up and everything will be okay. And nobody will know I've got away with it. But he didn't get away with it. Because God knows all and sees all. You can run, but you cannot hide. You can cover your sins, but God sees it. And he knows He sent the prophet. And the prophet says, I got a story for you. He says, this guy, uh, this, uh, this guy had a visitor that came and he wanted to, and he wanted to uh, put a party for him. And uh, he didn't want to use any of his uh, uh, sheep for the party. So he got uh, this guy's sheep only had one poor little old lamb. That was the only one that he had. And he took it away from him and he made, killed the lamb and had the feast for this friend that he had. David was furious. He was mad. He says, why that low down dirty rascal, let's take him and string him up. And the prophet pointed his finger and says, thou art the man. Thou art the man. You took another man's wife and then you had him killed. There's a price to pay. The Bible tells us, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. There's always a price to pay for sin. But God is merciful. And uh, uh, they, had, they had a little child. And God said, because of your sin, two things are going to take place. Number one, that child is going to die. He said, how can that be merciful? Well, we know that children don't have to stand before the judgment of God. So God took the child before it, could, before it could grow and rebel against God. God took him. When, 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 it, when it was finally all over, the people asked David. David, during that whole time, he was praying and fasting. By the way, David did repent. He said, I've sinned and I sinned against God. And he, and he fasted and he prayed. But then when the child was finally dead, he stopped and his servants were concerned. They said, you fasted while the baby was sick. And now that he's dead, you're, 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 you stopped? And David made this statement. He says, he can't come back to me, but I shall go to him. And you see, God showed mercy to David. Instead of striking him dead, he showed mercy. But there's a price to pay for sin. And my friends, that's something that we, we have to learn. 
You have to learn it. I have to learn it. We can get away from God. As believers, we can get away from the Lord. And we can fall into sin. And it's really easy to fall into sin. Can you say amen? amen. It's very easy. The temptations out there, left and right, on the television, on the radio, on the computer, it's everywhere. We can fall into sin. But God is merciful. And he'll forgive us when we repent. When we ask God to forgive us and cleanse us and, and, and we want to get right, he shows us mercy. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He shows us mercy. But there's always a price to pay. There's always a price to pay for our sins. God is eternal. God's holy. God's just. God's merciful. He's long-suffering. He puts up with us for a long, long time. That's what long-suffering is. Putting up with an individual. Putting up with an individual. Some, some have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior as a very young age. My daughter was four years old when she, wrecked, when she realized that she was a sinner and she needed Jesus as her Savior. But there's others. There's others that, uh, you know, a little bit older. I was a teenager when I realized that I was a sinner before God and I trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. But I've known people that waited 30 years, 40 years, and sometimes 50 years and 60 years and... And on and on and on and on. There's been people that's gone way up into the years. And God been merciful to them by allowing them that extra opportunity to trust Jesus Christ as Savior. He's merciful. He's merciful and he's long-suffering. Well, let's look at some passages of Scripture. I hope that you have your Bible with us because we're going to look at quite a few here. Okay? So the first one we're going to look at is in the book of Isaiah. Okay, so turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter number 57. Okay, go all the way down to verse number 15. It says this, For thus saith the high and lofty one. Now who is the high and lofty one? That's God that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Okay. The high and lifted one who dwells in eternity. Turn to Genesis chapter number 17. I'm almost there. Are you almost there? Okay. Chapter number 17. Oop, there it is. This is the story of Abraham. And it says, And when Abraham was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said unto him, I am the Almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. The Almighty God. You know, I think that we, we, we have forgotten that. He's Almighty. 
Okay. He's almighty. That means all-powerful. We have some words for that. Uh, uh, omnipresent, all-potent, omnipotent. Okay. Omnipresent. That means he's everywhere. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. Okay. He's the mighty God. Turn to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Chapter number 6. says this, verse number 4. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You may, in your Bible, you may notice that it's a capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It means there's no other Lord above him. He is, number one, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Turn to Psalm 147. Now, if you don't know where Psalms is, it's right in the middle of your Bible. 147. Longest book of the Bible. Psalm 147. Starting in verse number 1. Let's see what it says. It says, Praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God, for it is pleasant and praise is comely. I like that. Well, why do we sing praises? Because it's good to praise our God. Amen. So we're in the service and we start to have the song service and we're sitting there and we're singing songs and some of them are going... You should be singing. Well, I can't carry a note in a bucket. That's okay. Carry it anyway. I went to school. Cheryl and I went to school with uh, uh, Bible College, and there was, a, <clears throat> there was a young man that was with us, and uh, he was one of those that couldn't carry a note in a bucket. He couldn't hit the right note if he tried. But boy, when it came time to sing, he would sing. Matter of fact, he wanted to join the choir. And like most choirs, there was an absence of a number of men, and so any man that wants to go and join the choir, he let him join. Then he found out that he couldn't sing, couldn't hit the right note when he tried. And so what the choir um, director told us, he got us together without him, and he said, now look, I don't have the heart to tell him to get out of the choir because he wants to sing for the Lord. So what we're going to do is you're going to out-sing him. So you make sure that every one of you sing loud enough that you drown him out so that they can't hear the off notes because he made a joyful noise unto the Lord. He loved to sing. He loved to sing. It says, Praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God, for it is pleasant and praise is comely. The Lord doth build up Jerusalem and gathers together the outcast of Israel. He healeth the broken heart. He binds up their wounds. He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them by their names. Great is our Lord, and of great power his understanding is infinite. Go out at nighttime. Now, you can't do it here because we go out at nighttime. You can't see anything out there. But if you go out in the country, 
You know, I know why some of you like camping. You go out in the country and you look up and you see all the stars up there. And you see all of them. God's the one that created them and he knows them by name. Isn't that awesome? That's our God. That's our God. And then John 4. Turn to John 4. Starting in verse number 23, he says, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So the essence of God is he's eternal, he's holy, he's everlasting, he's just, he's merciful, he's long-suffering, he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing. And he loves for us to sing to him. He is the God of creation. There was a time when man could only see what can be seen with the naked eye. And there's a lot we can see with just the naked eye. Time before we had all the little lights that we have to block that out. You know, man could go out at nighttime and you could see all the vast universe that was out there. And, as, and, they, and they were thinking, well, that, that's the end. And, and as we've gotten more and more knowledge, uh, we're able to see things. And they say, well, the, the universe is expanding. No, it's not expanding. It's just that we're being able to see more and more of God's creation. Okay? Because it is His creation. The Bible tells us that you and I are part of that creation. Psalm 139 says that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. God doesn't make mistakes. Okay? Uh, we're, told, we're told that God knows us. Psalm, in Psalm 47, 1 tells us that he knows us. He knows us while we're in our mother's womb. He knows us. Matter in fact, we're told on a couple of uh, a couple of places where God knew the prophets before the they were even formed. He knows us. God doesn't make mistakes, and He doesn't make junk. Every living being He's made for a purpose to glorify His name. When we were up in Palmdale, there was a a, a family that was kitty corner from the church. And uh, the husband was a midget, and the wife was a dwarf, and they had a daughter that was also a dwarf. Now, if you don't know the difference between them, a midget is just a small person. Okay, everything's in proportion. A dwarf usually has a normal-sized body, normal-sized head, but the legs and arms are usually shortened. Okay, and that's why they're called a dwarf. Uh, they didn't like big people. Because big people were mean. They were always pointing at them and making fun of them. So they didn't like them. So they wouldn't go to church. Our baby girl was very, very, very sick. And uh, she had to go into the hospital. And the mother of that family was very interested in children. She loved children. And I tried to witness to them. They, they wouldn't even listen to me. And, then, and all I had to do was walk across the street, because that's where we were. But she heard that my little girl was in the hospital. And we didn't know why she was so sick. But boy, she was really sick. When, we first, when she first 
uh, went in, before she went into the hospital, we took her to the doctor. She was running a very high fever. She was, she was taking a breath. She would go, ah! and then she'd start crying because it hurt. Ah! And she'd cry some more. And we took her to the doctor, and the doctor examined her, came out, and she said, He's, she's sick. Well, I knew that. And I was just a young pastor at that time, and that was one of those instances where I got in the flesh. Boy, I wanted to just Google my little girl, and you're not even doing anything. You know? So we, we, we went down from Palmdale, and we went, went down to um, the hospital down in the valley, and uh, she had a, uh, uh, an infection of the lining of her lungs. She had to stay in the hospital. And the poor little thing, they, the only way that they could check things out is they would, they would strap her on this thing and hold her hands up like this, and then they would inject a needle into her. And she didn't like that either. As a matter of fact, every time she saw somebody with, with uh, uh, you know, what the nurses wear, you nurses, she'd start crying because all the nurses did was hurt her, strap her up in that way and stick a needle in her. But they found out what the problem was. And, but anyway, every day... That dwarf woman would come over to my office to find out how our little girl was. And I had the opportunity to talk to her about Jesus, about God, and how merciful God was, and how loving God was, and how God was in control of everything, that he's all-powerful and all-knowing, and that God would take care of the situation. I was able to give her the gospel. She wouldn't listen to any other thing but because she was concerned for our little girl, she listened. Finally, she came home. Our, our, our little girl came home, and I told, uh, I think her name was Margaret, and I told her, I said, Margaret, you can come and see our little girl. She never even seen her. She says, you can come and see our little girl in church this coming Sunday because she'll be there. Her and her daughter came to church. My prayer the whole time was, oh, God, please, don't let the people be mean and ugly and judgmental when they come. Help them to be loving. And sure enough, that's what happened. They were just accepted just like anybody else was. They were loving and accepting of those two. And when we gave the gospel message and gave the invitation, Margaret and her daughter walked down the aisle and trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I had the privilege of baptizing them. We had just started a Christian school, and we had some little ones. Our oldest daughter was uh, going to start, but the two youngest ones were too little. We had, and we had some other staff that needed to have little kids taken care of. Margaret wanted her daughter to be able to go to a Christian school because the, 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 the regular school that she went to, she was the outcast. Everybody made fun of her. Everybody laughed at her. She wanted to go to a, to, to a Christian school. She just learned that Christians don't do that. So I asked Margaret, would you be willing to do a daycare in your house? I mean, it's right across the street from the church. You do a daycare for our staff, and I'll let your daughter come to school for free. So it was a good arrangement. It was the cutest thing. Some of those kids were almost as big as Margaret was. <laughs> it was It was really, it was awesome. But one day, the daughter was just in tears, and she says, I don't know why. Why did God do, why did God, God made me? And I had to sit down with her and tell her, you know, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. God didn't make mistake with you. Okay? God has, a, God has a reason for it, and he's got 
a ministry for you. So accept what you are and trust the Lord. And she did. The last thing that I heard, and I don't know if it still happened, but the last thing that I heard, she went back to Pensacola Christian College to get a teacher's degree. And while she was there, she met a little midget. They fell in love, got married, and felt that they were called to the little people of America. God does not make mistakes. He doesn't make junk. You are, you are perfect because God made you the way you are. Use that for the glory of God. I remember we went to a youth rally one time and there was a man that played organ. He didn't have any arms. No hands, no arms. And yet he learned to play the organ. I tried to learn to play the piano with both hands and I couldn't, you know, I went a, the whole semester and I couldn't play the piano. He learned to play the organ, no hands, no arms. And one of the songs that he would sing was, Lord, use me for your glory. It's God's creation. He made this world and he made you and me. And every one of us, every one of us, has a special talent that God wants to use for his glory. Have you found out what yours is? Now, maybe you're not a singer, but there's something else that you can do. Okay? Find out what you can do for the glory of God and do it. Okay? Do it. Remember the guy that was here? Some of you folks remember him. He had, he had a twin brother. Um, what was his name? I can't remember. It's up here, but it's buried way back here somewhere. Huh? Tracy, Tracy yes. Tracy. Remember him? God gave him a talent of, of the, playing a guitar, and he didn't play it. And I, had to, I got on to him for it. I said, look, God gave you the talent of playing a guitar. I can't play the guitar, but you can play the guitar. And I says, why don't you start practicing on that guitar and learn how to play it well so that you can play it in church and play it for the glory of God? He started doing that. I don't know, how, I don't know if he kept, kept it up or not. But we're all placed in here together with different abilities. Some of you have the ability to build things, construct things. Some have the ability to, to design things. Some of you have the ability to, to teach. Some of you have the ability to, 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 to govern. You all have different abilities. Use it for the glory of God because God made you that way. God's creation. Well, what about it? He is the creator. He created all things. He is the king. We don't have kings today, but he is our king. He is our sovereign. He is our judge. We will be judged. No, we won't go. If you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've made that commitment. You won't go to the great white throne judgment, but you will be judged according to what you've done with your uh, uh, abilities and talents that God has given you. It's called the Bema Seat of Christ, the Judgment Seat of Christ. And it talks about um, our works being either wood, hay, and stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stone. Every time I do some yard work, it's wood, hay, and stubble. We had this over here, and uh, Antonio's 
brother, Joe, came and helped me move that dirt over there. Boy, there was a lot of wood, hay, and stubble. And it's worth nothing. Uh, if anybody wants it, it's on the far, it's out there by the, by the uh, uh, baseball field, and you can go get all you want to out there. But boy, it was something wood, hay, and stubble, not worth hardly anything. Sometimes our, our labor, when we do things, and we do things for our own glory to pat ourselves on the back, it's wood, hay, and stubble, and it's going to be burned up. But when we do things for the Lord to glorify God, it's gold, silver, and precious stone, and that brings reward. But He is the judge. We will stand before him. He's the Savior. He's the only one. Bible tells us in Philippians that he became, uh, uh, he became flesh. But it also says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is the Lord and that he is the Savior. Because we needed it. The word became flesh and became man. And we beheld him. As Jesus. So it's his creation. And by the way, you and I can't destroy it. God created it, and in his time, he'll take care of it. His creation. And then last, we have God in relationships. God in relationship. You know, he's personal. Um, He's a personal God. He, uh, he wants every one of us to personally trust Jesus Christ and Savior. You can't depend on somebody else's salvation. You can't depend on grandma's and grandpa's salvation. You can't depend on a wife's salvation or a husband's salvation. You can't depend on that. It's got to be you. We've said it many, many times, and we'll keep on saying it. We're, we don't push a religion. We deal with a relationship, and it's personal. God wants a personal relationship with us. And so it's salvation that he has for us. He's our heavenly father. He's our God. He's a helper in time of need. He's a shield for defense. He's the one that guides us and walks through us. The Bible tells us that uh, we're to give him that honor and give him that glory. Um, tells us to trust the Lord with all of our heart and lean not to our own understanding. Okay. So it's a relationship. So not only is he the creator, not only is his essence of his eternality, he is our personal savior, a relationship. And so what should we do? What should be our reaction to that? Well, we should believe that he is. That he's God and he can do anything. He can do anything. In Acts, the 16th chapter... Paul and Silas were in jail for preaching the word of God. In the middle of the night, they were singing and praising God. The jailer heard it. Long about midnight, earthquake. <laughs> Doors were open, chains were released. Jailer came in. He was going to kill himself because back in those days, if your, if your uh, 
um, uh, detainees got away, you had to uh, take their place. And so he's ready to kill himself. Paul says, hey, don't do that. We're all here. So he ran in and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, well, you need to turn over a new leaf. You need to join a church and be baptized. You've got to start tithing. Uh, you've got to start being good to your wife. Quit kicking the dog and the cat. Pay your taxes. Um, be a good employer. No, this is their response. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It's a belief in that God can do anything and that God made the way for salvation. So believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the second thing, when we read the, the text, it says he believed that he is and that uh, they diligently seek him. And so that's the second thing, diligently seek him. Jeremiah 29 says this, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, and shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. I've known people that have come to church and they say, oh yeah, I want to, I want to find God. But they weren't, seeking, they weren't seeking God with their whole heart. They just wanted, they, they were just depressed because of the situation that was around them, which they probably made themselves. They weren't seeking God, but here it says that God has thoughts about us and that if we call upon him and if we seek him with all of our hearts, we'll find him. You want truth? God give you truth as you seek it. Psalm Proverbs, the 8th chapter, verse number 17 says this, I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. Isaiah 55, 6 through 7, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. God's not willing that any should perish, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. My, by the way, if you feel that God's far away from you right now, he's right there. All you got to do is seek him with your whole heart and he will reveal himself to you in ways it's unbelievable. So we need to believe that he is, diligently seek him, and then trust him. Trust him. I think it's an interesting thing for Christians. Sometimes we can trust him to, to take us to heaven, but we can't trust him to take care of us on a day-to-day -day basis. But yet we need to trust in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not into thy own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. You need some direction? Trust God. He'll give you directions. You need to be taken care of? Trust God. He'll take care of you. It's a promise. Psalm 37, 
3 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Oh, preacher, you mean they'll give me that brand new spanking new BMW that I've been wanting that's all electric that does all those fancy things? Well, if it's for your, if it's for his glory. If it's for his glory. I think about the very first house that we owned down in Ontario, outside of Pomona. We walked into this house. It was about almost 1,600 square foot house. They hadn't even built it yet. It was uh, the middle uh, house of five. We walked in to take a look at it, and uh, boy, we fell in love with it. We said, this is what we want. We got out on our knees in the master bedroom and said, God, if you can give this to us, we'll give you full glory for it. We went and started the process. They said, sorry, you don't make enough money. We didn't. I was just in Bible college. Just got out. We didn't have any money. Had a little bit of money for a down payment, but that's it. We told them, well, we can't have, we can't have more than $160 a month. Now, you've got to realize this was a long time ago. Okay? A long, long time ago. And the guy says, you don't qualify. He says, you, you've got to make at least $30,000 a year to be able to buy one of these houses. I didn't have anything close to that. But we left it in the hands of the Lord and we say, hey, we're trusting God. If he wants us to have it, we'll have it. If he doesn't want us to have it, that's okay too. He'll take care of us. He'll provide a place for us to live. He'll give us what we need. We'll trust him. We went back a week later. I walked into the office and the guy just shook his head like this. And he said, your loan's been approved. It's $154 a month. We watched them build that house from the ground level up. Does he grant us the desires of our hearts? Sometimes, yes. When we're seeking him with all of our hearts. Psalm 118, 8 through 9, the last verse that I have, and it says, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. So because of who God is and what he does and how he has created in his creation and the relationship that we have with him, he expects us to believe on him, expects us to diligently seek him, and expects us to trust him. Have you done those three things? Have you believed on him as Lord and Savior? Have you diligently sought him? Are you diligently seeking him now and seeking his will in your life? Do you trust him, not only to take you to heaven, but do you trust him on a day-to-day basis? This is a decision.